Jesus and his followers went into Capernaum. Immediately on the Sabbath, Jesus entered the synagogue and started teaching. The people were amazed by his teaching, for he was teaching them with authority, not like the legal experts. Suddenly, there in the synagogue, a person with an evil spirit screamed, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You are the Holy One from God. Silence, Jesus said, speaking harshly to the demon. Come out of him. The unclean spirit shook him and screamed. Then it came out. Everyone was shaken and questioned among themselves. What's this? A new teaching with authority? He even commands unclean spirits and they obey him. Right away, the news about him spread throughout the entire region of Galilee. Thanks, Steph. <clears throat> it was homemade and primitive, like pulling a tooth with a string in a slamming door, like taking out an appendix by kerosene light where dogs wandered in and out the dirt floor room. Nothing for the pain that everyone wanted to examine the twisted heart they thought they could shout back into place. A tooth that needs to come out is how the poet describes the feeling of being exercised. You didn't know you were going to get your second sermon on exorcism in the month of January, but welcome to 2021. This is that cavity exposing a nerve in need of a root canal to extend the metaphor. These are the hackles in the defense mechanisms that fly into duty. How dare they? Don't they know that this is my life? They need to butt out of how I spend my paycheck, where I get my news, how I raise my kids, who I sleep with, what lives I think matter the most, what I eat, how much of my life that I devote in front of a screen. Who do they think they are? Obviously, I want things this way. Nobody ever chooses to be wrong on purpose. And what if you're the one that's actually wrong? Ever thought of that? Maybe this tooth isn't that bad after all. I'll get used to it. This little flare-up will soon die down. Mind your own business. This is something like the chorus of accusation and sensitivity that Jesus, as he travels to Capernaum, begins in his ministry of bear poking and tooth extraction. We often breeze through as we leave this section and head towards a more still and familiar and believable waters of Jesus's physical healing ministry in Mark's gospel. And in a time of pandemic, I'm not so sure that Jesus's physical healing ministry is all that much more tame or easy to swallow, but more on that next week. Friends, Jesus is doing just that. He's minding his own business. You see, the family business for Jesus inherited from everlasting to everlasting is the care of God for all that is not God in this world. So Jesus comes to set up shop for that family business. He comes to heal and make whole and to witness to the action of grace in a territory held largely by the devil. One prominent reformed theologian is fond of putting it, saying, 
There is not one square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. Jesus says, that belongs to me. But occupied territory for Jesus, as evidenced in Mark's gospel, does not come easy. It is not seated without a fight. Mark's apocalyptic gospel, read during this time of epiphany, begs for an uncovering, uh, an unmasking of the ways that God's creation is being misused and distorted and held by counterfeits and leveraged against flourishing. While it might even hurt sometimes, epiphany means being opened to healing. And Mark's ordering of these healing stories reminds us that while our bodies are always the most obvious in need of healing, the spiritual is always present and is always prior to the physical. If we only attend to what we see, we leave out most of the iceberg. The spiritual is always before the physical, but they're always found together. As Jesus begins his teaching ministry in this worship gathering, a person with an evil spirit screams, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You are the Holy One from God. Don't miss this small but really telling detail. For as much as there's an entire <laughs> industry marketed towards church security, I know there is because I check the church, the church mail and we always get pamphlets about how to keep our church safe. As, as much as there's a whole industry devoted to this, a demonic presence has long ago breached the synagogue doors. The us of have you come to destroy us is the same us as let us pray in this story. And there are two normal assumptions. First, that the problem isn't in here in the story, it says it is. Second is that it's not too bad and that demons somehow go away quietly. Spoiler alert, they won't. In Jesus's presence, the evil spirits take notice. The hackles raise on the good old church folk and if nothing is done, it just might be terminal. Maybe it's easy to just explain all this away. Like these were Jewish people. It was the oldest days. It was the olden days. Had they known that Jesus was to be the target of their worship, there's no way they'd be so threatened by his presence and his teaching. There's no way that prominent religious leaders would be made nervous by or become hostile towards the words and actions of Jesus which put their own ministries on blast. No way, could never happen in real life. This reminds me several years ago of when an NPR social media account um, committed to tweet out the entirety of the Declaration of Independence on 4th of July, like 140 characters at a time. And a bunch of people accused them of being unpatriotic and of pushing propaganda. Uh, um, it also is like, is like kind of like when people hold up signs at protests that have bits of scripture that just like kind of hit differently when they're not John three sixteen. You know, uh, this is when you want to quiet down people who are just telling back to you the things 
uh, that you should be hearing maybe in a new context. And I think that's a little bit of what Jesus was doing in this. Uh, I don't think Jesus was teaching anything um, radically different than they heard, but maybe just slanted or tilted in a way that rubbed them wrong. When Jesus shows up in a church, the way we react often shows there's a fine line between I contain multitudes and we are legion. And sometimes there's no line at all. We're, we're just full of all sorts of demonic uh, presences and influences that we don't even know about. Have you come to destroy this? Uh, the, the demon says, have you come to destroy us? When actually Jesus has come to give the words of life. But these words sound like death to those who are used to like unabundant living, non-abundant life. To those trapped in the bottom of a well, the searchlights hurt our eyes before we can be rescued. It makes me wonder what my sensitivities are, what our own sensitivities are where those exposed nerves that you don't let anyone come near, that you don't let Jesus come near. I have to be careful here because in some sense, these sorts of spiritual demonic forces kind of shape shift and fill whatever space we're willing to give them. And it's also hard to be specific because uh, like the people in church reacting to Jesus, if it often feels like we're being damned or targeted or triggered, when, when actually we're telling on ourselves, no one likes to feel that way. But it's also tricky because many of the things that wind up having an inordinate amount of power over us didn't start that way. Isn't this like the plot line of every like sci-fi robot or uh, Frankenstein story? Like it started out innocent enough, totally under control, and now it has control. The inmates now run the asylum sort of thing. I met a guy last week at our Lakewood communion gathering at El Futuro. He recently finished his second program at Trosa, which is like a residential um, addiction rehab center just at the bottom of the neighborhood. He described the throes of addiction in familiar terms. At first he did the drugs and then somewhere along the line when he lost track, the drugs started to do him. Soon there was no separation between the two. It became his identity. It became his activity. It started making empty promises about health and fulfillment, creating a whole new quote unquote community of dealers and addicts alongside of him that replaced his friends and family who love him. But his path and his trajectory also sounds like eerily similar to the ways that some of my friends who are ministering in suburban settings talk about their kids' youth baseball teams. No, I'm not equating like double headers and heroin, but like the slope slides and all of a sudden your nights and your weekends are spent on the bleachers and not around kitchen tables or church pews. And the thing that you signed up for originally starts to enlist you. Examples abound kind of in every place on the gamut from the obviously harmless to the seemingly benign, but consider how bewitching a completely insane set of conspiracy theories from what started out like a game, like a role-playing game, 
um, have now created a community of like QAnon true believers that are strong enough to storm a capital and organized enough to win public office. Like that's how these things start. They, they seem so innocent or so weak or so dumb even, and then they, they take on a whole life of their own. And it's into this cycle and this phenomenon and this logic into this din of noise and confusion and bucking and resistance that Jesus shouts silence. Silence. When I, when I read that this week, that part of this, it just, it really cut me. The, the part where Jesus, everything starts to spin out of control and Jesus just says silence. That got to me. This is the word, the word, the, the vocal expression of God made flesh demanding silence. Silence from church folk. <laughs> Silence from us. This, that Jesus is saying, quit explaining yourself. Quit justifying yourself. Quit distracting or numbing yourself with entertainment. Stop talking and simply listen. Be still and know that I am God. And this was the command to them and to us long before talk radio or podcasts or Wi-Fi networks that surround us with a swirl of unseen data and noise at any given moment. Just be quiet. I was thrown back in thinking about all this on to this old spiritual warfare book that I hadn't read in quite some time by C.S. Lewis called The Screwtape Letters. I'm sure some of you all have seen screw tape letters. It's so it's a little bit dated. It's one of those things and when you go back to it, you're like, oh, that's not quite how I remember it. Or maybe I'm not quite how I remembered it. Um, but I always and I still appreciate not just the message, but the medium of of that book. You see, Lewis gets this demonic logic uh, exactly right. He understands well that like complete lies are less alluring or effective than half truths and that every good and perfect gift and tool from God can also be used as a weapon. And so if you're not familiar, the whole book is just a series of letters from a senior demon named Uncle Screwtape to his nephew Wormwood, who's like a junior tempter learning the tools of the trade, right? And in this mentorship, uh, Screwtape shows Wormwood the ropes of how humans can be made less human, often by appealing to good but distorted loves. We call good but distorted loves sin in the theological business, right? He uh, shares also uh, certain things to avoid or particularly useful tricks and how to tempt people. In one passage, he writes, uh, music in silence, how I detest them both. No square inch of uh, infernal space and no moment of infernal time has been surrendered to either of those abominable forces. Again, he's always talking in the negative here. But all has been occupied by noise. Noise, the great dynacism, the audible expression of all that is exalted and ruthless and virile. Noise, which alone defends us from silly qualms, despairing scruples and impossible desires. We make the whole universe a noise in the end. 
We have already made great strides in this direction as regards the earth. The melodies and silences of heaven will be shouted down in the end, but I admit we are not loud enough yet or anything like it. Uh, maybe uh, Wormwood has made progress on that uh, since this was written. Noise, which Jesus shouted down in this temple scene, has two opposites, music and silence. And I might add kind of like a third hybrid, which would be like conversation. Conversation includes prayer, uh, at least some sorts of prayer, but conversation is kind of akin to music because of its pacing and harmony and timing, but it's also conversation also includes silence in that good conversations are always slow to speak and quick to listen. It's often these simple, quiet acts like just conversation that don't seem like they're much or enough, but they can actually be powerful acts of resistance against the powers and principalities, which dehumanize us and cause us to dehumanize others, to make others less in their imaging of God. It's things as simple as relearning conversation and curiosity in others. And I don't mean to give quarter to the demonic, but rather to clear the air and let people talk for a minute, let them express what makes them uh, anxious, what makes that desire so desirable. It takes a lot of confidence to just sit quietly when someone doesn't tell the truth or when someone mischaracterizes you. And this is the type of strength that Jesus shows all the way on his way to the cross, to continually be wrongfully accused and to never say a mumbling word. It's into this world of plenteous dehumanizing forces that Jesus speaks in our passage says, as one with authority, Jesus's words and actions always first and foremost in a spiritual register, but never in less than a physical way, quote, shake up and cause questions from amongst his hearers. When's the last time Jesus's words have shaken you up or caused questions in you? Or do we have defense mechanisms to prevent that sort of thing? And also things, so conversation is one subtle but powerful act of resistance. Also something as simple as the hospitality offered by uh, Wayne and Eric to their friend who's putting his life back together, the, the friend that I mentioned earlier. This, this guy, we're, we're watching him and I'm watching Wayne and Eric primarily uh, facilitate this. We're watching this guy be remade and grafted back into the neighborhood after his time in rehab. So many exorcism stories of the Gospels end with a person coming to their right mind in the community being forced to receive them back despite the previous ways that they were a danger to themselves and others. Like I think of the story of the Apostle Paul in Acts on the road to D Damascus when he was still Saul breathing murderous threats against the followers of the way. And it's not explicitly ever called an exorcism, but it has all the makings, right? Like 
Paul is Saul at the time is a terroristic religious zealot and he's knocked off his horse and then he is received by Ananias who explained to him that it was indeed Jesus who appeared to him. And then the scales fall off Paul's eyes. He is fed, he is baptized and he is effectively healed. First of his spiritual blindness and then of his physical and oh yeah. And then he got a whole new family, a family of the very ones he was trying to eradicate. The, 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 the Christian, the early Christians who he was trying to erase, he became one of them. And Ananias' simple but radical act of hospitality rehumanizes and re-socializes Paul. And this is, of course, Paul, who was then able to tell the story and share the good news about Christ crucified to this burgeoning ecclesia. Jesus still speaks with the same kind of authority. This is an authority to unsettle and dislodge the powers and principalities, to expose the parasites and imposters of the good God of a good creation. Jesus acts with authority to battle and win a victory over everything from our addictions and the noise that we keep turning up to every supremacy that is not God's loving, healing, gentle own. Jesus has authority. Jesus has authority even over these powers and it's a running theme in Mark's gospel that Jesus came to bind the strong man. It says bind the strong man who seems like he's running things up and then pillage his house, set all of the captors free. These forces may be powerful, they may be alluring, but they are not under control and that's the good news friends. At best, these forces in our world and in our lives are trying to burn down the house on the way out of town. They are screaming and they are convulsing as Jesus exercises and rehumanizes. Jesus, the most human one, calls us back into full humanity. This is uh, a declaration of this comes from Colossians 2, and it says, having disarmed the powers and authorities, Jesus makes a public spectacle of them triumphing, triumphing over them by the cross. Jesus wins this victory by dying for us and by including us in that death that we also might be included in Christ's resurrection. This sort of power should should give us license for confidence. It should also send us to God in prayer for deliverance. Deliverance in all the places we see that are, that are taken over by, by things. It should open us up ourselves to critique, to healing. It should send us, in, in, again, to extend the, the poet's metaphor, to the dentist for extractions if we need them. And hopefully we won't have to settle on, you know, a loop and a string tied to a doorknob that, that we, we can be a little more humane and gentle with these extractions. But we're not going to just let these infections spread and hamper. This sort of intervention on God's 
on, on our behalf by God should bow our heads in praise that God is so interested in our salvation and care and health that Jesus would work in this way, sacrificially, humbly, sneakily, in these small ways in the midst of, of our real lives. And then the result of this is that we join Jesus in this mission, in this like mission that includes exorcism. Like Matthew's gospel at the end remembers that Jesus sends his followers. He commissions them to remember um, to baptize uh, others uh, and to make disciples and to baptize others and share the good news. Mark's, the end of Mark's gospel, and this is a very Mark thing to do, records Jesus declaring in chapter 16 that his followers will drive out demons in his name. That's the commission that he gets, that he gives, that we get. So we join Jesus with fear and trembling in this ministry of like cosmic confrontation that manifests itself and again, epiphany means manifest. It manifests itself in painstakingly local and real ways. Things like hospitality, things like conversation, things like confession, and things like, like embracing uh, Christ's call to a new and full life. Will you all pray with me? Uh, Lord Jesus, we admit um, these stories uh, make us nervous and they blindside us. Uh, even things that can be so freeing like silence make us nervous because we just need to explain one more time uh, why we're doing this or where we're going. Um, but you uh, just want us to sit with trust in the realization that you are God and we are not, that you know what's best for us even when we don't, and that you are opening up for us a way of full life, of healing, of restoration, of community, and of hospitality to us. If we just sit still long enough to embrace it, and if we're brave enough to open our lives up to your healing. Thanks for this good news. Thanks for the ways that you are so active and at work in our lives and in this world. We pray all this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.